Welcome everybody to another edition of Legal Tech Week, the show where we talk about the top stories in legal tech and innovation. And uh, a lot happened this week. Uh, not a boring week at all. Plenty to talk about <laughs> here. Uh, and there just happened to be a little bit of a, a merger involving uh, a couple of companies you might have heard of, uh, Fastcase and Velux. And uh, we are lucky to have the CEO of uh, Fastcase here with us to talk about that today. But before we get to that, let me just uh, go around and uh, introduce our panelists today. Uh, I am Bob Ambrogi. I write the blog Law Sites and have a podcast called Law Next. Uh, we've got uh, uh, a ringer again this week, Greg Lambert sitting in with <laughs> us uh, again. Greg, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us again. And I want you introduce yourself. Sure. I'm uh, Greg Lambert. I'm with the uh, blogger at Three Geeks and a Law Blog, a podcaster at The Geek and Review. And then the one that actually pays for uh, all of that is my day job with Jackson mm -hmm. Walker. I'm the uh, Chief Knowledge Services Officer in Houston. Good. Do they know they're paying for all of that? They do, because I also do the podcast <laughs> for them as well. Okay. So good. Good. <laughs> Okay, good. I thought maybe I could get you in trouble here. Uh, all right. And Stephanie? Hi. Uh, yes, I am unmuted. Uh, Stephanie Wilkins, Editor-in-Chief of Legal Tech News at ALM. And uh, Nikki Black. I'm Nikki Black. I am the head of SME and external education at My Case in Law Pay. Um, and I write legal tech articles for uh, uh, ABA Journal, Above the Law, The Daily Record, among other outlets. And I also oversee and author a bunch of the um, industry and benchmark reports that we put out on the my case and law pay side. I'm excited to be here. Lots to talk about. She's bringing her smoky voice to us. I was going to say she's, she's been going <laughs> through packs of cigarettes this week. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm excited to hear from you. And I'm really excited about the merger. That was big news. And uh, potentially also smoky voice to Victor Lee. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Victor Lee. I'm assistant manager editor for the ABA Journal, handling business of business of technology. Ugh. But it's a law and technology. So uh, yeah, I, I I was out last week. I had a bout, bout with COVID. Um, then I tested negative and went to go see Depeche Mode. So I don't know which one's more, uh, <laughs> which one's messing me up more at this point. So. Did you go to see Depeche Mode? Is that where you got COVID or you went after you got over it? I went after it. Like, 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 it, uh, it was okay. touch and go for a little bit. I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to make it. But then I tested negative. I was like, all right. I feel all like right, maybe good, I good. shouldn't be on the show because we're all coming down with COVID at different times. And maybe yeah. this is the root source. <laughs> uh, you know, people are people. I don't think oh, it spreads so soon. We'll see. All right. And last but not least, Steve Embry. I, <clears throat> now I think I'm catching <laughs> Steve Embry. <laughs> I write the, uh, the blog Tech Law Crossroads, and I'm currently the chair of the ABA Law Practice Division. All right, so uh, uh, what I thought was actually uh, uh, a little bit of a shocker this week uh, on, on the legal tech news front certainly wasn't one I saw coming uh, when uh, when I heard about it, uh, and that is the merger of Fastcase and VLEX uh, uh, in a year, just shy of your 25th anniversary, right, Ed? Uh, uh, you guys yeah, have been around right. for for a while, so uh, exciting news! But uh, so we uh, invited uh, Ed or uh, to join us today to uh, 
talk to you, talk a little bit about the deal and uh, take a few questions from the panelists and everybody out there in chat land. If you've got any questions for uh, Ed, drop them in the chat and we will be happy to uh, pass them along and make sure he, he gets to them. So, but I mean, Ed, before we get to all of that, maybe you could just kind of talk a little bit about why this merger, what's it mean for your customers? Sure. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me here. Um, as I said in the warm up, uh, long time listener, second time caller, I think um, <laughs> I always enjoy the round table. Um, I think I want to break news at the header. So my my new role is actually going to be chief strategy officer for VLEX Group. Um, that doesn't mean I'm I'm kind of going anywhere. I'm still going to be working out of the DC office of Fastcase, but. Um, one of the one of the difficult challenges of a uh, kind of a global organization that spans lots of time zones and coordinates a lot of entrepreneurs is to make sure that everyone is pointing in the same direction, that they're all kind of aligned on the objectives of a relatively you know diverse multilingual organization, and that everyone understands kind of what their part of that's going to be. It's not really that different from being a CEO at Fastcase because with Docket Alarm and Next Chapter and Fastcase, we were always trying to do that, trying to make sure that we were resolving, uh, you know, competing priorities, that we were making good choices, that we were communicating that to the whole team, and that everyone, you know, really knew what their part of that was. Um, it, it's going to be a bigger challenge. We love it when people challenge. break news on this show, so that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Chief Strategy Officer. Of you US heard it group. here first. Right. Um, and I've already uh, tweeted it, Ed. So it's oh, good. Awesome. So it's official. Awesome. Great. Now it's official. Uh, yeah. So that's um, it, that's going to be the my, my new role, which is to try to, you know, kind of align those priorities to make sure that we're making good choices, uh, that everyone is singing from the same hymnal in whatever their native language is, and then to make sure that we are, you know, that everyone sort of understands how their role aligns with uh, that bigger goal. And that's sort of top to bottom. I think that's the hallmark of good leadership in any organization, that uh, all the different groups are kind of aligned behind a common goal, and that everyone understands how the work that they do, um, you know, during the day advances that goal in some way. Everyone plays a part. But so I, I uh, that's that's my my kind of my news lead. Um, okay. I also want to make sure the introduction was uh, was complete. Uh, but maybe I can okay. answer your question now too to to describe yeah. what I'm talking about. Okay. Um, you know, Fastcase has been a legal research pioneer and uh, disruptor in uh, in the U.S. since 1999. But in parallel. Uh, VLEX was a legal research disruptor and pioneer starting in Europe in 1998. Uh, and so the, the two co-founders who were brothers, um, uh, Luis Faust and Angel Faust, who are from Barcelona, uh, really built over time the most comprehensive, broad-ranging law library there ever has been, more than 100 countries. Um, it was always Fastcase's ambition to democratize the law. You've heard me say it a million times. And that mission doesn't stop at the geographic boundaries of the United States. I think we'd always hoped we would expand into Canada, we would expand into Mexico and Latin America, into Europe. And I, I think we've you know, really established ourselves in the US. 
Many, many U.S. lawyers use FastCase. More than 1.1 million lawyers in the U.S. have a subscription through their law firm or their bar association. And we have like literally nothing in our collection from outside of the United States. So instead of adding like one country at a time, when we had the opportunity to merge with Felix, who already had the next 100 countries under one roof, it seemed like a natural. And so that's that's what we were uh, working on for most of the last seven months. We've been working with the VLEX team to see if we could find a way to put those two innovators, peers, people we've known, Luis and uh, Angel, for almost 20 years. We work together with them. We have a, a kind of a data licensing relationship with them to see if we can put those two companies together. We've tried a couple of times and, and candidly failed, but um, I think now with uh, with the backing of Oakley Capital and Bain Capital Credit, we're able to finally find a way to do that uh, and achieve a, a real global scale to that mission to democratize the law. Now, ChatGPT tells me that you're moving to Barcelona. Is that true? <laughs> that is not true. It's yeah. weird because normally ChatGPT gets it right every time. <laughs> <laughs> hey, maybe you just haven't gotten the news yet, Ed. <laughs> maybe that's right. Look, there are worse places, there worse places to get sent to, right? I mean, you know, at least not moving due to like, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to offend anybody. But yeah, yeah the worst places to move to. Offend, Victor. <laughs> right. It's it's not uh, it's not like an exile to Siberia or something. So uh, no. So I, we'll um, yeah. just just address that. I, I think um, we've said this in the releases, but we're going to maintain the DC headquarters office of uh, FastCase, and the company will be known as FastCase in the U.S. Uh, Velux maintains the Velux brand all around the world. They have uh, U.S. headquarters in Miami, and then kind of global headquarters in Barcelona. But uh, outside of that, I mean, we have offices in Charlottesville and Columbus, Ohio. There are VLEX offices in London and Argentina and Chile. We have production offices in uh, India and two offices in China. So we're not like a giant company, but we're in like a lot of time zones for a relatively small disruptor. That's awesome. That's great. Um, I, I know that a lot of you have probably talked to Ed this week already, you on the panel here, uh, but uh, if not, or or uh, if so, uh, do you have uh, anything you'd like to ask him or any comments on, on this? Yeah, I've not, not had a chance to, to talk with you about it, Ed, but um, congratulations. Uh, it's really exciting news for you and Fast Case. And, um, you know, I, I think most of us, probably all of us on this call would agree that you're you're one of the smartest people in the business and you're also one of the nicest pe people in the business. And it's good when good things happen to good people. So I was really excited to hear the news, excited to hear that you're still going to be involved in a very substantive role and look forward to chatting with you at shows and events in the future. So and that's you. super kind of you to say. Thank you, Ed. Um, yeah. There's a lot of people on our team um, who uh, who join me in saying thanks. That's very kind. And exactly for the reason Steve just said for you and for Fast Case, you were one of the very few emails I responded to from off the grid on vacation. <laughs> because Where were you I was on vacation? So happy for you. Oh, I was in. I was on an island off Honduras. Um, wow. 
well, that and I told this group one day when I was at a brewery and couldn't join the join the show last week. Those are like the two emails I responded to last week. Was yours? <laughs> and so I didn't get to hear your story, but I was excited enough for you and everything you're doing. And like Stephen said, always yeah, happy to hear Thank what you. you're doing. So congratulations. Thank you. I guess I had a question for you. Um, uh, I guess at the risk of like you know invoking hearsay or whatnot, like. What was what was sort of uh, on the VLX side? What was it about Vasquez that made them an attractive partner? Because I'm sure with their with their international, uh, the, their breadth of international uh, experience and their and their and their materials and whatnot, they would have been a made a uh, a pretty a pretty valuable get for a lot of companies. So, like, what was it about Vasquez that made it a more natural a more natural fit for them? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I I don't think I would presume to speak for Luis and Angel, but they they have said uh, separately a couple of times that. Um, you know, this is fast case is a company they know and trust. We've worked together for a long time. And um, so I think that's that makes it much easier. But I mean, the other thing to say is that if you are building a global law library, uh, the US is a natural kind of anchor tenant. And although they had like very good coverage around the world, they didn't really have uh, very deep penetration into the US market. And so uh, we we each independently were trying to figure out a way to create like a global law library. And let me just say that the vision at Fastcase and the vision at VLEX were really in parallel. We both wanted to democratize the law and we each independently had this vision that, I don't know, it's, it's, it's kind of uh, commonsensical when you, when you say it out loud, but there has to be a global law library with the law of every country translatable from any language to any language. If I asked you, is it possible at 10 years from now that we won't have a global law library? You would all say, of course, there, it has to happen. But so here's the thing, the, the conventional way of doing this, the conventional way of building legal research services is you start at the biggest countries and you sell into the biggest firms for the largest amount of money. And there's nothing wrong with that. The incumbents in this market have made a fortune. They've built really cool products. But if you are trying to uh, build a law library that has the law of Cambodia and Costa Rica and Cote d'Ivoire, like there's not going to be big enough law firms to build those libraries there. And so if you're going to have a truly global law library, you have to have a bottom-up business model. And that's what VLEX was pushing against, and that's what we were pushing against, each independently. You have to have the U.S. law if you're going to have a global law library. Uh, we're a beacon for the world in many ways. Uh, if you're going to start from the U.S. and build out, it's really hard, like one country at a time, to, to build out the law of Luxembourg and um, uh, Laos. And so uh, combining the two together, is a very powerful combination, both of vision and of scope. Uh, the combined VLEX group, which will contain FastCase, will be more than 3 million subscribers around the world, the largest subscriber base of a legal tech product in the history of legal tech. There's never been a larger subscriber base. It's gonna contain, you know, today, 1 billion documents with a B uh, and the law of more than 100 countries under one roof. And again, like it's not like uh, that law is inaccessible. You can go to individual websites and countries and find the law of you know, some of these nations. There are individual 
you know, kind of products for the incumbents in those markets. But to be able to search it all under one roof, uh, that truly is new. And so this is this is going to be a, a very um, uh, interesting stage for both companies. You know, we're both pretty small companies in some way, but we'll end up with more than 350 employees across 22 time zones. Uh, and we'll be servicing the largest subscriber base with the largest research library uh, in history. There's never been a larger law library in the world. So it's uh, it'll be an interesting challenge for uh, for this next stage. Great. There's a great question from somebody in the audience from Hayden Jones. And uh, you, Fastcase, acquired Docket Alarm in 2018. Does VLEX have something similar in place for litigation records in other jurisdictions? Or, or is that something that will be developed? And and I would just kind of add to that also, what does this mean for Docket Alarm and, and, and some of the work that you've been doing with Docket Alarm? Yeah, a great question. Uh, both questions uh, I love. So the the idea in combining these companies is not to phase things out or scale things back. There are mergers in the world that do that, you know, where you add one plus one to make one point five. <laughs> and our idea here is to make like one plus one equals like three and a half or something. So the idea is to do all these things at scale. So docket alarm will continue. It'll be under the docket alarm brand. But instead of adding new states in the U.S., like maybe one at a time, we might be able to add more like three at a time. And instead of it being a service that just tracks dockets in the U.S., the idea, the vision is that we can scale this around the world. Um, and so there are countries where their judicial systems are electronic, uh, where you can track their dockets online. And so we'll um, expand into those jurisdictions right away. But then, you know, over the next 10, 15 years, there'll be a lot of court systems around the world that are coming online for the first time. We'll even help them do it. Uh, and as they do, they become like new docket alarm jurisdictions, not just in the U.S., not just in uh, Kansas or Illinois, but now like anywhere in the world. I think in the next chapter too, I should add, like next yeah. chapter of the, yes. uh, the document automation and bankruptcy filing software, that's a part of Fastcase um, that is expanding into uh, kind of document automation. You will see that at a larger scale now uh, outside of the U.S. as well. Great. Um, yeah, uh, Ed, I know when... Um... When the you know West was was bought out by the Thompson family, and then Lexus was bought out um, uh, as well, and now you this is the this is the third kind of big legal information provider in the United States that has now been basically taken over by a foreign uh, company. Uh, has there been any? Have you guys thought about that? Has there been any talk? about that because i know you know at least in in my circles that was kind of a big deal um and i, I mean it didn't really pan out i don't i don't think it's you know as as big as people think it is but uh was that something that that you had to think about it's like the TikTok of legal tech well especially you mentioned you got two <laughs> two offices in china uh you brought it up ed <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> uh, the TikTok of legal tech, I'm not sure which yeah. way that really cuts. <laughs> well, you are cool, but the government doesn't like you. How's that? Yeah, yeah, right. Um, 
You know, I think the I think the most important thing to us is really the mission uh, that we democratize the law. And I think for most of our history, we've had like a a pretty I want to say provincial view of it in the sense that what really mattered to us was the United States. But increasingly, we're seeing like firms large and small saying, look, our clients' legal problems aren't just in the United States, right? Even even like relatively small clients, if you run a t-shirt shop, but you sell t-shirts online, you know, you're not just selling them to the US, you're selling them to Canada and Mexico, you're selling them to uh, Brazil and Brussels. And so, you know, if you're advising a even a relatively small t-shirt company, your advice increasingly needs to be global. Now in the past, if, if that t-shirt shop wanted legal help to figure out like what tax do I pay, you would really only have to have the option to go to like the biggest firms in the world, like a Jackson Walker, no offense. Uh, you would need to go to like a global law firm that could have offices in all of these countries that could subscribe to, you know, an incumbent service uh, in France or the UK or China. Uh, and so the ability to do that uh, for small firms through a VLEX group and through Fastcase, I think is going to be just another step in democratizing the law. I hope it empowers members of bar associations and small law firms to be able to offer that kind of world is flat advice to their clients for whom the world is flat. Um, and so the I think the idea here is really less about uh, you know, uh, what the passport says for the individual shareholders and more for creating a legal research that is global in scope uh, and that serves small law firms in a way that recognizes that new reality. I'll just add one more thing. A uh, real light came on for us um, a couple of years ago when the State Bar of Kentucky subscribed to uh, Casemaker instead of Fastcase. And their explicit reason for doing that was because Casemaker was offering access to VLEX and international collections as well. And I think we would have thought, man, maybe in California or New York, you might need to have that kind of international scope. But when the State Bar of Kentucky said, uh, our bar association members in Louisville need access to international collections, it was like a phase shift. The light came on and said, this is not just a, an issue for large law firms. If small firms wanna compete uh, in this kind of new world, they're gonna need access beyond Kentucky law. They might need access to the world's law library. And that's what we're pushing against here. Well, and I'll be, uh, I'll, be, I'll be happy to pass along to our state bar that we were responsible for fast case acquisition of Casemaker and now it's merger with VLEX. They'll be happy to know that. <laughs> yeah. That's a good transition to the next. There's another question um, here. And I don't, I don't know how much time you have, Ed. I think I told you like 20 minutes or something, but if you've got a few more minutes, we can, you, you got a little more time. I'm with you. Y'all tell yeah. me when you get bored. Okay. 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 Um, but there's a question from Jennifer Carter, who I think is with the Minnesota State Bar on what would be the top two to three points to talk about to our bar association members about this? I would say the first thing is not much is going to change for their subscriptions. They still log in through the bar association. They still pay the same most powerful price uh, in the world, which is free or at least included in bar dues. Um, and 
Uh, if anything, this allows us to do the things that we're pushing on faster. My biggest example of this is FastCase's new citator, which is called CERT. Uh, when we acquired the technology of Judicata several years ago, the idea was to build the world's best, most accurate, awesomest citator. We've had bad Lawbot for years, which is pretty good, uh, but Judicata's technology was much better. And so the CERT citator was going to be something that made those bar benefits even more valuable. And we've been working on it behind the scenes, um, but it frankly has been pretty slow going. It's slow to make it accurate and correct and superlative. And I, I think uh, you know the one of the ambitions behind this combination is to speed up that work. And that just means that you get all the same stuff that you get, but more of it and faster. And so that's that's what I would really impress on uh, bar association members. The business model for us doesn't change. The mission for us doesn't change. Bar associations remain our most important business partners. And the most important way that we democratize the law is by making the law available for free to members of state bar associations. So we're excited to keep doing that. Hopefully we get to do it more, better, and faster as a part of a larger uh, organization with some strong financial backing. Um, all right. Uh, there are a couple of other questions, I, and uh, I want to make sure that you know the, the panelists get a chance to weigh in on any of this. So, if any of you want to uh, comment or, or talk about any of this, please just go ahead and butt in. You, I don't have to tell you that, but you know that. But um, the uh, one question has to do with your API strategy. Uh, how how will this impact your API strategy? Uh, will we now see API solutions leveraging VLEX international data sets? Uh, I love it. I think it's probably too soon for me to say that uh, we'll absolutely do it, but I love that idea. It's been an important part of FastCase's strategy and Docket Alarm's strategy to have APIs that uh, you know pipe raw legal data in some ways into the refineries of law firms and corporate legal departments. Um, uh, I'm writing that down right now. That's a fantastic <laughs> um, kind of next step because the, the same reasons those things are popular for U.S. law, uh, they also should be popular for global law. Also, I saw in the in the chat, um, Mark Stoddard answered, uh, asked the question, do you think this will be, uh, will have any impact on FastCase's adoption and the world's adoption of Sally standards? Mm -hmm. uh, and this is a place where I'm really, really excited. The VLEX team loves this idea as well. If you can adopt those standards across the world's law, uh, the idea is it becomes like a key number system for global law. And when you have a question about how to tax t-shirt sales in a bunch of countries, instead of running keyword searches in 22 or 29 different legal research systems, you can run a search for one Sally tag across all of them all at once in the same place. Uh, and that's the real promise of standards. If we can accelerate the adoption of Sally standards around the world, in law firms, in corporate legal departments, maybe even in governments themselves, uh, that's a huge win. Uh, that's the way standards really catch on. And then when you get really big, you can claim copyright on the standards and go ahead and sue all the other people using it. Ah, well, that's the beauty <laughs> of Sally, right? No one owns it. It's all open source. It doesn't belong yeah. to FastCase. What about the other part of Mark's question there about what will the role of uh, Oakley and Bain Capital be in the future of the merge companies? 
that's the faster part of uh, more, better, faster. So I think with uh, with strong capital backers behind us, it allows us to fund our ambitions at a global scale. Uh, you guys know, uh, Phil and I have bootstrapped FastCase for 23 years. And I think we've been very uh, effective at it. We've been pretty good at it. Uh, Luis and Angel were doing the same thing with Felix. They bootstrapped that company for 24 years. Uh, and what's exciting about this, I don't know, you guys have all seen this, right? You have like uh, people who run a company for two or three years, they get a huge infusion of capital and then uh, they blow it in a weekend binge in Vegas or something, right? It, it goes into NFTs or crypto or something. Um, but the the idea is if you if you have companies that are very capital disciplined, who have had to learn by spending their own cash, who have had to be conservative and to do this over decades instead of financial quarters, uh, if you can get capital behind companies like that, and they can continue to be cash disciplined uh, and strategic and smart, the sky's the limit. You know, that's that's where the, the real magic happens. When you have a good, smart, long-term disciplined backer, uh, Oakley and Bain are obviously both those things, uh, combined with founders and executives who are disciplined uh, and know how to use that cash. Uh, Man, if I were an incumbent in this market, I'd be very worried about that. Uh, and I'm sure you also saw in the chat the question uh, that every, it's on everybody's minds these days about large language models. Uh, so now that you have this gigantic database, what's your strategy for AI and ML? Uh, well, that's I think that's really um, one of the best uh, new products out of this combination. Because when you have a document library of one billion with a B documents, and when you have standard tags on them from Sally, uh, that is going to be the most powerful driver for large language models in the world. And I've said this to some of you before, but just for the benefit of this recording, uh, we're seeing new large language models come out almost every day. You know, you know, there's GPT three and then DaVinci, GPT 3.5, and then GPT four. GPT five is already in the works. People are already talking about it. You've got Bard from Google. There are about a dozen open source LLMs that are coming out in the next uh, two months. So I think in some ways, uh, the neural nets, the large language models themselves will become a commodity. But what is not a commodity is the data that you train it on. And with LLMs, with these kind of uh, pre-trained transformers, the most important thing is the scope and the diversity of that model. And so if you're able to put behind LLMs tagged data from around the world that recognizes what the law is about and who it's talking about and what the law firms are and the people are, that's able to apply a citator to it. So you're not just regurgitating up law, but that you know whether the law is good law or bad law. That is going to be uh, the real driver for LLMs for law in the future. You know, there are there are good LLMs for law that exist today that are trained mostly on you know, U.S. law or U.S. law for cases. To be able to do that around the world with cases, statutes, regulations, court rules, constitutions, 
uh, with the, the full corpus tagged and for the whole world uh, has amazing potential. And I'll just say, this is the orientation of our businesses, right? So with Fastcase and Velex, we have retail products, but we've also both made the wholesale data available to other companies. It's baked into our DNA. A lot of very popular startups, other products, even incumbents that you've heard of use Fastcase data. Uh, and we have always said that data should be a commodity. It should be high quality. It should be uh, relatively low cost like a commodity, but it should be like electric power. It should empower a lot of people to do a lot of things. Um, and so like GE, like we're going to make refrigerators and toasters and stuff, but we're also going to invest in the network to get power to everyone's home so everyone can build on it. And that's that's the real potential for those APIs. I'm sorry for like the super long answer to that. I'm obviously nerdy and excited about APIs, uh, but also about the availability of legal data on a global scale to empower corporate legal departments and law firms and technology companies to build the whole next generation of stuff. And we're gonna be the data store for the next generation of legal LLMs. We, we welcome nerdy on this show, that's okay. <laughs> uh, anybody on the panel have any other last thoughts or questions or comments or? No, I mean, I applaud the nerdy. The first time Ed and I ever talked, I think we both, <clears throat> completely missed another meeting because we went so down a nerdy <laughs> AI rabbit hole. So and I, and I yeah, and I covered the Sally stuff too. So I'm really excited for that whole aspect of where this is going to go. The ability to have the standards and to use the AI, like you were saying, across this global database on the cases, I think is just going to be a fantastic opportunity. Okay, I have to ask though. I, you, you and Phil gave birth to this company 24 years ago. You, you've raised it into a mature adult, and now it's now you're kind of, you know, watching as it as it gets married off uh, into a new family in a way. Uh, I mean, how, how does how does this that feel to you as as a founder? I mean, suddenly it's it's not just your company anymore. Yeah, you know, I feel differently about it if it were a different company. You know, Velex is like a like a um, peer company of ours. They're kind of like uh, brothers or friends or something to us. You know, so this doesn't feel like selling it off in some way. It feels like combining it. I, I feel the same way about Casemaker. You know, when we worked with Casemaker for many many years, combining the two companies didn't feel like to the Casemaker team like selling it off. It felt like evolving it in an important way. And so this isn't like, uh, you know, selling this to Big Co or something. Uh, this is selling it, um, merging it really with a with a company that shares our ambitions, that shares our values. Founders who are also like very smart and nerdy and committed that share our mission. And so um, I would really feel differently about it if it was some like Big Co sale or something. This is now like having more people standing shoulder to shoulder with us in a mission that we've cared about for a long time uh, that gives us greater confidence and greater success than ever that we're going to be ultimately very successful in doing what we're trying to do well thank you uh 
<laughs> oh yeah, there's the most important question. We're going to have a fast case suite at double A double L. What did I say? More, bigger, <laughs> faster. <laughs> um, if you haven't been to double A double L, the fast case suite is notorious. Um, famous, well, famous, not notorious. It, it's notorious. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'm sticking with that. Any any uh, any suite that has a, a pool and a bunch of drunken librarians in it is Bob. Uh, what do we say? What <laughs> happens in the fast case suite stays in the fast case suite. All right. Um, well, Ed, thanks a lot for uh, for joining us to talk about this today. And and uh, you know, as, as everybody has been saying over and over again, congratulations uh, to you and to everybody involved in this. Awesome. Well, on behalf of Phil. Uh, Luis and Angel, the whole like fast case VLEX teams. Uh, thank you for having me on this uh, on this August program that I literally watch every week. It's a it's a lot of fun to join you guys. Yeah, and you're welcome to hang out if you want. But you can I'll let you let you go if you want. We're going to talk about a few of the other stories of the week in the, in the little time we have left. But uh, that's that's entirely up to you. I'm not kicking. I'm gonna you. I'm gonna leave uh, that to the experts. But thank you very much right. for having me. All right. See ya. All right, he's leaving his picture there. Why is his picture there? Um, <laughs> there he goes. All right, well, that was interesting, uh, and uh, you know, it's a uh, it's it's pretty uh, pretty interesting stuff. Um, so, uh, <laughs> where do we go from there? I, I think we had all kind of uh, pegged that as one of the one of the big stories this week. Uh, at least two of you. Uh, I think also picked out the uh, the Paul Hastings Twitter viral thing, uh, Victor. I think and, and Stephanie, you both kind of picked mm -hmm. up on that one, um, which is worth uh, worth a little commentary. I think. Yeah, I think Victor had it first. I don't know if he wanted to talk about it, but um, well, yeah. I, I, well, I kind of piggybacks off the lot of off the lot of com story, but um, okay. yeah, I mean, I mean. <laughs> It's kind of one of those things where it's just like, you know, does it already kind of confirm what we already know about about, about these firms, or uh, yeah, was it news because it was it was so shocking, or was it news because yeah, we it was it, it, it really just kind of tells what we already knew. Um, but yeah, so I guess you know the the the, the crux of it is that like there was an associate uh, at Paul Hastings who did a um, a, a presentation, and uh, basically it was you know advice for for junior associates and whatnot, um, and you know I guess. Maybe he didn't run it by uh, uh, certain certain partners, or maybe he didn't run it by certain people. But um, it, it ended up being pretty, you know, pretty pretty unvarnished advice about like how to succeed at, at Paul Hastings. One was you're online twenty four seven, no exceptions. Uh, one was you know uh, this is the big leagues, uh, so act, you know, um, and uh, this is a privilege, so you know you need to act like act, act like yeah, act like it. Um, we are in the business of client service. You are the concierge of the Four Seasons, a waiter at Alinea. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. Uh, the client always comes first and is always right. If the client wants a mountain move, we move it. No questions. As a junior, your clients are the associates and partners on the deal team. Um, clients expect everything to be done perfectly and delivered yesterday. And work from home is, an, is a luxury, not an advantage. So make sure you buy a proper setup and no no excuses for, for, for poor connections or for problems with technology. Everything has to go perfectly. So, so basically, it's like, you know, just, yeah, be perfect. Uh, don't... Um, I'll take ownership of everything you do. Do not touch a document, work stream you own. You own every mistake, fair or not. So 
basically it's you have to be perfect all the time and if you're not then it's your fault um but, there was, um, yeah yeah there was a lot of, i was actually thinking about this before coming on this call because i know joe's not here were any of you big law associates on the panel steve you were yeah i was wondering yeah i mean none of this is new it's just nobody was dumb enough to really write it down on a slide before yeah. and make it go viral but I mean, it really is. I mean, it's a lot of people are saying is, oh, it's super tone deaf or whatever. I'm like, well, isn't the bigger problem that this is what people actually believe? And I mean, this whole concept of like, there was one thing on there that I thought was really, really weird that it was like, don't ever ask a question, Google it first, do everything else first. And I was like, are you really telling your junior associates that they should be Googling hell, legal questions? Hell yeah, hell yeah they're telling them that. <laughs> and now they're telling them, don't just Google it chat GPT at first and then come to me. And there's actually, there's not a bad reason behind that is because it's good enough to give them the language to speak to the associate who has the experience or the partner who has the experience. And so it's, that is a common thing that is said and it's very practical. It's, I, I have no problems with associates going out and getting some of the base information from Google or other resources before they just come blindly to, you know, a senior associate or a junior partner to ask them. So I, I don't see any problem with that. Yeah, that's fair. I thought yeah. it was <laughs> And I would, I would agree with you, Greg. I mean, when, when I was in, in that point in my life, you know, I, I would, and probably still do just in a different, different venue, always afraid of asking a stupid question. Right. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to ask a question of a partner and be like, you don't know that, you know, did you really go to law school? So I would always, you know, try to at least get a baseline of information in hopes that not only would I appear to be a, a better associate, but I also might be able to offer something of value at the same time. Yeah. Um, I definitely so I absolutely but, agree with it as a baseline and talk to you. So if I feel like it was written so strongly that it was like, don't ever ask a question. I feel like you're if, if you're going to scare the bejesus out of these people to like not ever ask a question, they're suddenly going to like be relying on ChatGPT and Wikipedia. There's like again, that goes a lot more to the tone of it too. It wasn't just. I totally agree with the you know try to find the answer first, but I I, I don't know the whole thing was in a tone. Was, that, again, completely not shocked. Mm, I mean, there's a reason uh, I'm not in big law anymore, and it's basically that slide is Exhibit A, right? Yeah, Joe. Joe would yeah, say he said the quiet part out loud. Yeah, well, then, like, no, it, it, it's, it was it's spot on. I mean, it, it is. It's all the unsaid rules, the unwritten rules that that were applicable back in my day, and and still true today. And it's you know, I mean, the the, the big law firm model is built on billable hours, and there's most of the stuff in there is designed to enhance and increase your billable hours. So. Um, you know, that's that's where we are and that's how how the world legal world works, I guess, and still does. What it struck me as was a prime example of like another example of uh text like it'll be one day read aloud in deposition, create internal slide decks like they'll one day go viral. Same yeah. thing. Like this is like that was what really struck me was it's just a stupid thing to put into writing in this day and age. So that's what I think was the most striking about it to me. 
Well, it, stri it strike me as hypocritical, though. I mean, I, again, I've never worked in big law, and I'm sure this is the way it is in big law. But it, with all the emphasis uh, with this, whoever created these slides with their emphasis on serving the client and remembering they're paying you $850 an hour. No, billing uh, you out at, not paying you. Billing, billing you, you out, at. right. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> billing, <laughs> that they're difference. paying our firm $850 yes. Critical distinction. <laughs> Critical distinction. Uh, and, and if, if, if somebody in the next office over knows the answer off the top of their head, you know, why should you be afraid to go ask that question? And just why would you waste the time of having to go dig around and try and find the answer when somebody down the hall probably knows it or has it at their fingertips? Yeah, but I mean, but like that, that's not just a big law issue, right? I mean, I, I worked in the public sector when I was a lawyer and it's kind of the same thing. They were like, oh, there are no stupid questions. There are no stupid questions. But then like you would ask a question, they'd be like, <laughs> yes. Are you stupid? I, like, um, like, what, what's wrong with you? My, like, my niece has the best answer for that. Is that there's no stupid questions until her husband asks her one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you have to remember too that that you know, big law firms, particularly in the associate ranks, are are extremely competitive. I mean, it, it is you know that not everybody makes partner, and not everybody will be there in five years. Yeah. Well, and, and so and not only that, they, they, they associates. I don't know. Bob, Bob would call this. An, I think Bob might call this a nothing burger um, <laughs> because it's uh, you know it's like every there's nothing on that list of things that are false. There's absolutely yeah. nothing on that list of things that are not expectations for a lot of big law associates. And you know, quite frankly, the the price for associates has skyrocketed. And they're supposed to make, you know, in order for them to be profitable, they should make about three times what their salary is in billable time. And, you know, they, if you, if you were to ask them, okay, we'll cut your hours, but we'll cut your pay, you know, or we'll cut the expectations. Most of them would say no. And so it's, you know, this is these golden handcuffs that they put on themselves, um, you know, in a business model where most of them are going to work four or five years, try to pay off as much of their student loans as they can, and then move somewhere else. It's a stupid model, but that's what it is. And I don't think that anything that this person said would, should surprise anyone other than the fact that he actually wrote it down. Well, right. But that's the thing though, right? The <laughs> fact that he wrote it down, like it seemed like it almost, and I, I don't want to get into like, you know, conspiratorial things or whatnot, but it almost seemed like it was calculated to kind of provoke a reaction because it's like, the more diplomatic ways of saying those things, right? Like not, you're 24 seven, no exceptions. More, you need to be available um, as much as possible for your clients. Remember they're paying, you know, they're paying the firm and they're very important issues. They're very important you know, things that, that need to be worked on. So you should try to be available as much as possible. Like, like there are ways of saying it, finessing it so that you're not going on being like, okay, we 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 own you and 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 you do you do you do everything that that, that the client and or your, or your partner tells you right. I mean, there are ways to couch these things without making it so blatant and so um, controversial and so you know. I mean, so I almost, almost feel almost probably just it, is, it doesn't change how they actually work. <laughs> no, I feel like the tone of it to me, not, not the, the substance isn't surprising at all. The tone of it goes a lot more to me big law culture because this was like a senior associate and this read like a fraternity hazing, like some senior associate on a power trip who had to go through it. So everyone else should too. And now they have a little bit more power. So they're going to make their juniors miserable because this is their brief moment in time where they can before they become a junior associate. And it's just not, you know, it's nothing has changed even with all the technology, with all the talk about mental health, with all the talk, like 
is it all just talk? Nothing has ever changed. And I thought the GC responses, which were in the article Bob put in the comments, were interesting because it was sort of split between some of them being like, well, this is ridiculous. We don't want or we're not expecting this to some people, some companies being like, well, yeah, absolutely. We do respect this. And some of those wouldn't even be named because they don't want to be on record saying, yeah, that that's what they expect. So, I mean, it's just, yeah, I don't know. I'm just sort of my big law fury is coming up, but like it's the tone and the hazing that just uh, has yeah. never ended it, and never it, will. It, end. And you're exactly right about that. A little Stephanie. PST that, going that's, on here. So. Yeah, that's, oh, very that's much. How <laughs> I, that that kind of stuff, as you know, went on all the time and still yeah. goes on all the time. Whether whether the senior associate writes it down, I mean, when I was a younger associate, I knew, I knew who the shits were. You know? Do we? Does, has anybody actually confirmed that this is real? I mean, I guess we're just all assuming it's real. But has anybody tracked down whether this really happened, or was this just a beam that somebody put out there? We don't. Yeah, know. What, Bob, it's too. It's too good to not be. Too, well, the firm. The firm, the firm said. The firm said it doesn't reflect our. our yeah. Our, the firm. Our, our, yeah. Like, like they kind of. They kind of. Like they didn't deny it, but they were just kind of okay. like, yeah, yeah. Like, 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 like the views here do not do not reflect the, the, the values of the firm or blah blah blah. All right, like the like the Jonathan Turley post this week about how he was Chat GPT accused him of sexual harassment on a trip to Alaska or something when he'd never been to Alaska. And <laughs> we're gonna see a lot stuff. more of that. This yeah. blending of reality and fiction, and not knowing what's real and what's not. I read a couple articles about that as Chat GPT is used. And the GPT-4 technology used by bad actors to spread misinformation, it's going to be hard to sort of rebut the information out there and decipher whether it's true or not. So I thought the question you asked, is this actually true, was a good question. And it's also one we're going to be asking more and more, and it's going to be hard to figure it out as time goes on. Yeah, and, it's, and one that judges it's should not be just the judge. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> one the judges should be asking. Nikki. Right? Well, exactly. <laughs> um, well, that's what I, what I included in my, um, uh, I stumbled this week in my RSS feed or on a social media, I can't remember where I saw it, but on a guide that was released um, for judges in February that was um, uh, 102 pages long, I'll put it in the chat, um, about artificial intelligence. And it was sort of like artificial intelligence 101 for lawyers or for judges by uh, from the Federal Judicial Council. It's the uh, organization that's um, created to ed educate judges about things that they need to know that are going to crop up in their cases. And um, I mean, the first thing I thought was really notable was that this what they created this um, and it was very timely. It, it, it's a fantastic primer. I haven't actually waded through all 102 pages yet. But it's a fantastic primer on AI in general and the implications of AI and uh, explaining why, you know, the culmination of all these different technology forces um, coming together that have sort of set the stage for this being the tipping point for AI. Uh, but it's a really interesting um, and useful primer on AI, not just for judges. I recommend you skim over it. Um, it's a good resource for presentations if you have, if you give presentations or to refer to in articles. It's it's a great um, uh, document, but it's also just so interesting that uh, it's wonderful that they're educating the judges. They need it because this is increasingly and at an exponential rate going to become relevant across all aspects of our culture, certainly in the um, court. So I think it was 
uh, very notable and very timely that they released this um, to the judges and that they prepared this really thorough doc. Um, all right. Um, the, one other story of my own that I wanted to mention this was my own. The fast case one wasn't my own because we all covered it. But the uh, the uh, Thompson Reuters sale um, of of Elite, um, which is its whole sort of uh, big group of products uh, for. Uh, uh, basically financial, basically back office business, financial management, uh, CRM stuff uh, for, for larger law firms, which has uh, been, you know, a, a, a pretty uh, um, dominant product for them uh, for, for a long time. Uh, one they've, I know, put a lot of, a lot of money into uh, investing and, and selling, and they've had a uh, a whole big user conference around it for a long time. Uh, I was a little bit surprised by that. I don't know uh, if any of you who have uh, followed this stuff or worked in the big law world had any thoughts on it. But I mean, what's what's going on with Thompson Reuters uh, uh, other other than suing Andrew Arruda over here? Uh, uh, mm -hmm. th that that I mean, are, are they where where are they going? <laughs> what are they doing? Anybody have any thoughts on that or any insights? Well, I, ever since they uh, pulled out a tech show maybe four or five years ago, that to me was writing on the wall. They got rid of their PR arm. They pulled out a tech show. They're now offloading some of their major legal tech software um, products. I mean, I think they're just divesting themselves of the legal market. They've decided it's probably not profitable other than maybe their research arm. I'm not entirely sure, but it's clear that they're devaluing their, some of their legal research or choosing to offload them. For, you know, it's, it's got to be because they're not profitable or they're changing their strategic focus. But it's it's sort of I, we've talked about this in the past. So it was yeah. really notable. This isn't legal research, also, though. This is like a whole. Right. Well, I mean, maybe because it, it doesn't fit with the legal research. So it's right. bearing down. I mean, you know. I think they're offloading, starting to offload some of their software. Yeah. Stuff yeah. Right. And just and, focusing only on the and legal. They didn't sell the whole thing. They, they sold a majority stake. They still haven't have an investment in it. Yeah, um, the, that's true. You know the the word the word that I'm hearing on the street was was this was a divestiture that would help the the Thompson family uh, kind of get some of the some of their investment out now. All right, so just let us line our pockets. Steve, I could see the argument that is you know that allows them to focus more on their core core business, which is the legal research. But Nikki, you're right. I mean you. We look back over the past few years of history and, and even the number of people that, that we all know that used to work at Thompson Reuters and are gone now. I mean, it's um, I've not been to their offices, but I, I suspect there's a lot of empty space. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, didn't they move out of their big thing in Egan and yeah. back into this? They moved mm -hmm. back into. You're right. Yeah. Uh, they sold that. That. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, we just got a couple of minutes left. Uh, who, anybody want to uh, jump in with uh, anything that we haven't uh, talked about yet? Uh, I'll, I'll do real quick on on mine. Um, I actually pushed this out today just because Bob invited me to to speak. Um, so <laughs> I I talked with uh, uh, Christina Kastanova, who wrote a uh, uh, who wrote a story that turned into a comic book. She used generative AI to create the images for it, got copyright protection that was later revoked. Um, and it's uh, it's really interesting to see how the art 
community has really kind of split on generative AI tools when it comes to producing art. Um, and uh, she has really kind of come under fire to, you know, referred to as being Hitler and getting death threats uh, for, for doing this, which is just absolutely asinine. Um, but uh, uh, very, very interesting stories. I think she's a uh, Russian or at least Eastern European uh, immigrant uh, whose grandfather was in the, in a concentration camp. So to refer to it as Hitler is kind of a low blow uh, yeah. on, on this, but uh, real, really interesting story. And then I've got uh, Roger Skalbeck and, um, and um, uh, another professor from uh, Ashley Dobbs from Richmond who are also using this type of generative AI to teach law students uh, certain legal issues. So uh, I, I put a link in there on, on my story. All right. Sounds like something we should all listen to. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's about it for our time for this week. And yeah, uh, I, I was going to comment on yeah. Joe's story, but since it was Joe's story, I'll just leave it out. What was Joe's story? <laughs> oh, about, about the the layoffs. Uh, yeah, the layoffs yeah. at Kirkland, which was yeah. which was a which which was a crappy optics and crappy thing to do, I think. But not Joe, not Joe's story. Yeah, yeah, what Kirkland did. <laughs> we, we've beat up enough on the poor big law firms on this episode. I agree. I agree. Give, them, give them a break. <laughs> Um, yeah. is there a they only they only made they only made seven point six billion. Yeah, and as Ed said, with a B dollars revenue last year. Yeah, they'll they'll, they'll cry all the way to the bank. It'll it'll it'll, it'll be tragic. Uh, all right. Well, I thought this was going to be a slow week, and it sure it wasn't. So uh, who knows what's going to happen next week? But we will be back here to talk about it, whatever it is. And I hope everybody has a a, a good Easter uh, weekend. And uh, thanks for thanks for joining us. Bye, all. Bye, everyone. Bye.